everybody. It's Kai. This is Politics Inside Out, the Marketplace podcast on the economics of politics in these United States of America. I've got uh, our D.C. Bureau Chief, Andrea Seabrook, on the horn, on the line, on the what phone? Let's just say phone. I got her on the ding, phone. Ding. There she is. Um, <laughs> and we're going to we're going to go. Uh, we're now Trump plus two, uh, Andrea. And I, and I want to do two things today. One is look back a little bit at how the electorate broke uh, on Tuesday, just in terms of, of stuff that is in our sweet spot. But then also looking yeah. forward at the next, what, like 75 days of the transition, because today uh, the president-elect went to the White House, met with President Obama in the Oval Office. There was a little bit of awkward handshaking and some, some stuff, um, but we'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk, first of all, about who it was that voted this time and how they voted. Item number one on these exit polls, because that's what we're doing, we're going uh, to the exit polls, is mm-hmm. this idea of income. And much has been made of the fact that Hillary Clinton, despite uh, conventional wisdom, won voters making under $50,000 a year. And if you think about that, the conventional wisdom has been, oh, Trump's going to get all those blue-collar workers who uh, are economically dissatisfied. In point of fact, Hillary Clinton got uh, most of the voters under $50,000. But but you got to yes. break it down a little bit, right? You do. You have to break it down into income level, uh, location in the country, and frankly, race. Yeah. Uh, whether people were white or whether they were part of a minority group. There was a lot that happened in the, uh, in the campaign. And, you know, Donald Trump's epithets and and sort of quirks, if I think that's putting it kindly, that that turned off a lot of minority voters. And so Hillary Clinton didn't so much win those voters as gain from his loss of those voters. Explain that a little bit. It was more of a protest vote against him. The people who really felt like they, you know, they couldn't trust Donald Trump to uh, respect their cultural values, their religious values. Um, I'm talking about immigrants from all over the world, Mm -hmm. people who may wear a hijab, people who may have come across the border or their parents did. Um, I think those people were, were much more likely to vote for Hillary Clinton because they couldn't couldn't stomach the thought of a Trump mm-hmm. presidency. And, you know, the the opposite side of that coin is that when you look at the people who actually voted for Donald Trump, they are overwhelmingly white people. Yep. And what's interesting about that demographic is that in your average election, it's not uncommon for a one candidate to appeal to a particular group or constellation of groups. But in this one, the white people that that did vote for Donald Trump, they spanned across education levels, people who had PhDs, people who didn't finish high school, people who make less than $20,000 a year, people who make more than 200. Let me drill down a little bit more. Uh, you know, if and if you go I'm on the New York Times website, but but all all major media organizations have, you know, the exit polls laid out there. Uh what's so interesting is it broke exactly what you the way you would think on stuff like trade and condition of the nation's economy, right? Clinton got everybody or, you know, the overwhelming share of people who thought the economy was good, who thought trade made life better, and Trump went exactly the opposite way. Trade has made life worse, you're voting for Trump. Condition of the nation's economy lousy, you're voting for Trump, you know? Yeah, I think this economic picture is really fascinating. I think um, there's a really big difference you know, conceptually, rhetorically, between talking about slowly molding the economy that should be, Hmm. which is what Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. did, and saying 
the economy that is sucks for you, for us, which is what Trump said. And I think that the people who have already lost, who have already lost that sort of insiders-outsiders battle, who already don't have access... They're the ones who voted for yeah, Trump, but, by and large. But, but here's the interesting part, right? Because he made all kinds of promises in this campaign. And a very big one was, in essence, we are going to take this economy back to the 1950s when there was coal mining and steel production and Detroit was everything and middle class wages would get you uh, or working class wages would get you a middle class lifestyle. And he has now mm-hmm. sold that to the electorate. They have bought it. He has to deliver. And the fact of the global economy is that he can't. He cannot. This is the fatal flaw, or at least it is the beginning of the fatal right, flaw right, right. of the... It's, it's the fatal flaw of the Trump idea. He's a fascinating guy. He's done amazing things. He promised something that is impossible. Those things, those, you know, if there's something Marketplace knows from all of, you know, your incredible coverage is that those jobs are not coming back. And if manufacturing's if manufacturing jobs do come back, especially to uh, you know the middle of you know like the former Rust Belt states, yeah, they're going to be those jobs are going to be performed by electrons. Yep. they're it's, not going to be performed right. by people. Right. It's automation. It's not outsourcing. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah. and and we can say that this is not a left position or a right position. It's <laughs> it's a reality. Is, this is right. And so this man has to figure out. Okay, well. I promised all these people that I would bring jobs back. There's got to be you can't do it without a fresh new idea. You cannot right. go back to the 50s and 60s. Like civilization, the internet marches right. on. Economy uh, goes forward, not backward. One one yeah. more thing on this, and then I, I want to move on to what's to come. Um, mm-hmm. Fascinating maps out there showing how uh, Mr. Trump, the president-elect, uh, outperformed Mitt Romney in Rust Belt states. He yeah. absolutely beat the snot out of Mitt Romney. You know? He sure did. Yes. And I think that says something really important about how exhausted yeah. people who have not made it in this economy or or feel they have lost, how exhausted they yep. are yep. by your average political landscape. Yep. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney, he probably would have been, you know, could have been a great president. But he spoke like a politician. There is nothing more striking about Donald Trump's candidacy or his election than that the man is not a politician. The man has never been elected mm-hmm. for political office. He doesn't speak that way. He eschews all of that. His supporters don't care if right, he says right, things right. that are frankly offensive. From the point of view of Washington, they woke up on Mars. Yeah, you know, <laughs> You know, it's like... Right. Oh, oh, crap. Right, I mean, you right. can say anything and get elected. I mean, that's what it looks like from their point of view. I right. think it is much more nuanced than that, but, but <laughs> they don't know but, where but they that's are. That's the headline. All right. So, so here we go. And this gets us into the transition now, because um, first of all, Republicans have been out of power in, in the White House for eight years. They're going to have to staff up an entire administration, which it is worth noting here is starting from jump, man. I mean, it, Trump's people... <sighs> thought they were going to lose. And, and they have said this and they have said we had we had no plan. So now they're starting from the get go. They're having to staff it up. But the thing is, and you said this in our editorial meeting this morning, this is not going to be your typical Heritage Foundation AEI transition with Republicans, right? No, Lord, no. In fact, I'm, I'm going to do something um, silly, but like. All right, go ahead. What is it? Are you crumpling it up and throwing it out? Do you hear that? Yeah. Do you hear that? No. What are you doing? It's th- that's that's the flurry. 
That's the flurry of resumes. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, honestly, if the you're a Republican policy res- <laughs> person, go to Washington. You'll get a job. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. What people don't know about Washington is that there are all these, like, placeholder places. And you mentioned Heritage or uh, American Enterprise right. Institute or Brookings Institution. Yep, yep. All so the things that you hear all the time, especially on public right. radio and in other places. <laughs> those are, you know, those are places where subject matter experts yep. on policy go and live while some other administration is in the White House, right? right? So they kind of expect uh, every four, eight something, some amount of years, they kind of expect to go back to the White House or or maybe into a lobby shop or some other, you know, when it becomes critical, that the, when their expertise becomes critical again, they go somewhere else. Right. That happens by and large. They're not just academics. But, but Donald Trump, he is not Mitt Romney. He is not a George W. You know, the Heritage, Heritage Foundation was founded by people who came out of the Reagan administration uh, and the H.W. Bush administration uh, when Clinton won. And these are, you know, they, they're sort of waiting. They're like in waiting, you know, right. they're like guys in waiting. So, so let me let me ask you this then. Uh, there are two um, uh, uh, schools of thought, I suppose, on this. One is mm-hmm. that um, people who have actual expertise and experience and know how the levers of government work uh, will do one of two things. They will either stay far, far away from Donald Trump because they are afraid of what he represents and what he might do. Or they will answer the call of duty because when the president calls, you got to pick up the phone and they'll go to work uh, in this White House. Which do you think is more likely? I think every single one of those people will be asking themselves, what are the political implications in four or eight or 10 years Mm. of having worked closely with Donald Trump? Hmm. Hmm. They are thinking to themselves like, okay, my, you know, my future is at stake, whether that is, you know, a a professorship at Princeton or Harvard, whether it is, you know, being in charge of a center at a think tank, whether it is, you know, being in charge of a whole entire, you know, department, the department of, I don't know, transportation, whatever. whatever. They're thinking to themselves like when, you know, when and if America comes back to normal, like gets over this backlash, and right. let's say right now it's possible that, they, you know, the landscape has actually just changed forever. Yeah. But they're making that calculation. Well, the world was this. The world, I assume, will probably be this. What do, what do I do? And, you know, these are people who have spent their... These are not people who go to, like, giant corporations in general and make tons of money when they're out oh, of no, office. They're, they're these like are people government lifers, Washington lifers. Right, yeah. right. Or they go to a university, yeah. they go to a yeah, think tank. They're, you know, like, it's... They're not thinking, well, I could go make, you know, half a million dollars a year in, in this place. They're thinking, like, yeah. well, how do I keep my... You know, you know, Washington paltry one hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, throughout this time. And so I I think that that is really the thing. They are people who care so much about civil service that they are making the exact calculation you point to. But there is a part of it that has to do with their own futures and what it means to have worked closely with Donald Trump. All right. A word here on the way out about the Senate of the United States, with which uh, President Trump is going to have to work to get his appointees through, to get his budget. I mean, he's just going to have to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to play a piece of tape here uh, and then I'm going to sort of set it up backwards and then we're going to talk about it. So this is uh, the Republic, the majority leader in the United States Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky. Here he is. I will say for myself, I think the NATO alliance is 
every bit as important today as it ever was. I think Article 5 means something. You attack any member of NATO, you have us to deal with. I want the Russians to understand that fully. Point being that during the campaign, Mr. Trump said repeatedly, in essence, uh, I'm not so convinced of these international alliances we have, and if they don't pay their fair share, I'm not going to support them. This was the Republican leader of the Senate basically saying, really? Seriously? you got to go through me, yo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a harbinger of things to come. I mean, you know, one thing that's fascinating about, you know, a Trump White House going forward is that... This is no darling of the Republican Party. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. is this is no one with, frankly, any ties to the yep. House and Senate who is suddenly has a new, you know, a new playmate. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be easy to get those things through. When you speak specifically about NATO, you talk about our international alliances, yeah. you know, beyond trade. I don't know how to I, I cannot overstate <laughs> right. how. How much gravity those alliances, especially when it comes to global security, mm-hmm. um, how much gravity they have within the United States Senate. That is what the Senate specializes in. You hear it in the voice of Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. He's in the same party, ostensibly, as the man who will become president. And he's already stepping out on, as you said, Trump plus two uh, to say, like, whoa, 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 wait a second. We're not going to break up NATO. You can't just do that. And I think it's a good reminder of for all the people out there who, you know, love or hate Trump or whatever, that a president does not is not an, a monarch. I mean, there's this giant legislative branch, judicial branch, and not to mention civil service. Yeah, well, that's, that's which, a whole which, different podcast. But yeah, right, which yeah. tends to moderate the changes right. of uh, of policy in the United States. This is a little thing we do called Politics Inside Out. She is Andrea Seabrook, our Washington bureau chief. I'm Kai. We're going to do this uh, again tomorrow and uh, for the for the um, you know foreseeable future. Talk to you soon. People should tell us what they want to hear. That is, right? Well, yes. See now, there you go. Tell us what you want to hear. <laughs> Write us, text us, tweet us. Do us. Do it. Whatever you want. It's at Marketplace. Well, She's at Radio Babe. I'm at Kai Rizdal. Get a hold of us, and, and we'll answer your questions because. Uh, man, oh man, there are so many of them. So many. All right, got to go. Bye. See ya. This is APM.